0: All right, all right, all right. This is Mike. This is Mike on the mic. (laughs) God damn it. Uh, Believe it or not, I am not a father. But um, yeah, I'm here doing an intro, doing an intro for y'all. And this intro is just to remind y'all or to inform those of you that, that haven't heard yet uh we, we have a few ways for you to reach us now. Uh, we have uh, Twitter now. it's at polytheorypod. We have an email which is and.um.otherstuff at gmail.com. And we have a discord, which is political theory and um, other stuff pod. Uh, We also have a Patreon. The Patreon is patreon.com backslash polytheory and um, other stuff. Yeah, Paul does the email for the most part. I'm doing the Twitter for the most part. And we both check the Patreon and the Discord. If you want to be on the Discord, reach out to us via Twitter or email and we'll Um, shoot you an invite uh yeah so we uh look forward to to hearing from from y'all from whoever at some point um if you're wondering about why we have a patreon there's a video on the patreon that goes into that so uh thank you all and i hope you enjoy this episode Right, we are back. Political theory and um, other stuff. Mike and Paul here doing uh, the racial contract by Charles W. Mills. We are. This is part two of the overview, which is after the introduction, and we're going to be starting today at the first paragraph, the first full paragraph on chapter on page twelve. It may be. Not exactly where we ended last time, but we're but
1: if it's not, we just really wanted to go over this stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, it's totally it very fun. important, probably. Yeah. Uh, all so, right. Uh, you you want
0: to uh, get us going here, Paul? Oh sure.
1: All right. The logic of the classic social contract, political, moral, and epistemological, then undergoes a corresponding refraction with shifts accordingly. In the key terms and principles. Politically, the contract to establish society and the government, thereby, thereby transforming abstract, raceless men from denizens of the state of nature into social creatures who are politically obligated to a neutral state, becomes the founding of a racial polity. Whether white settler states, where pre existing populations already are or can be made sparse, or what are sometimes called sojourner colonies, the establishment of a white presence and colonial rule over existing societies, which are somewhat more populous or whose inhabitants are more resistant to being made sparse. In addition, the colonizing mother country is also changed by its relation to these new polities, so that its own citizens are altered. In the social contract, the crucial human metamorphosis is from natural man to civil political man, From the resident of the state of nature to the citizen of the created society, this change can be more or less extreme depending on the theorist involved. For Rousseau, it is a dramatic transformation by which animal-like creatures of appetite and instinct become citizens bound by justice and self-prescribed laws. For Hobbes, it is a somewhat more laid-back affair by which people who look out primarily for themselves learn to constrain their self-interest for their own good. But in all cases, the original state of nature supposedly indicates the condition of all men, and the social metamorphosis affects them all in the same way. I mean, I, I do think um, this is our second time going over this particular paragraph. It's such a good thing to keep in mind for modern day discussions. I feel like people do inherently feel on the conservative spectrum that this is how it's supposed to be, and that, like, you know, it like, kind of like we've already discussed that, like, quote unquote white man's burden whether or not they understand we're doing the right thing isn't of concern because we know we're doing the right thing and they need to go along if they want to have like nice uh, not savage lives sort of deal you know like that kind of justification of no matter what shit we did it doesn't matter because we knew what they should have been doing anyway it's not our fault they won't listen right so I wanted
0: to give um, an example of um uh, sojourner colonies, from my understanding, a sojourner okay. colony would be like south africa right so and then like a non sojourner colony what was that what were the non sojourner colonies called um, uh, white settler states okay uh white settler states, so like a white settler state would be like the u s mm-hmm. or maybe even um australia i don 't know okay. their history super well and then um South Africa, Vietnam, uh, the Philippines, would, and even maybe even like um, Mexico would be uh, sojourner colonies, just because because those are places where they couldn't, where they were still the minority, right? Right. Um, where the white people were, whereas places like the U.S. they were able to, what you know, partly yep. intentionally, partly otherwise, get them down, uh, get the natives down to a minority.
1: Yes. So yes. uh, For modern day society, I think, not that I agree with everything Hobbes ever said, but that uh, we could take a lesson for that. Learn to constrain their self-interest for their own good. In August of 2020, uh, we live in a great example of a country that is just not willing to sacrifice their self-interests for the societal good. I'm not saying that's everybody, but there is a noticeable group of people who are like, you infringing on anything I want to do is more shitty than me doing what I want to do. So just let me not wear a mask. Just let me fucking, you know, walk into Toys R Us with an AK-47 on my back. Uh, it's legal. It's what I want to do. And it doesn't matter whether or not it has an ill effect on society.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I believe we've talked about before that, I mean, that's obviously something that's been over the decades taught in our culture. Yeah. So the problem is that you have no rights... Without a society. Yeah. Whether you think your rights are endowed by God or not, you have nothing that will ensure the safety of those rights without a society. Correct. If you're not willing to do what needs to be done for the society, then um, eventually, potentially, your rights will be null and void. Yes. And we don't talk about that in U.S. culture enough. We talk about what we have, like you were saying, or or what what inalienable rights we have. But we don't talk about how, you know, without a society, those rights are absolutely alienable. Like, you can definitely have them revoked by whoever, you know.
1: And there's so many places throughout the globe that demonstrate that. If there were natural inalienable rights, then why could you know, with might drug cartels or things like that, just completely, completely override all of that with just a show of force.
0: Okay. So in the racial contract, by contrast, the crucial metamorphosis is the preliminary conceptual uh, partitioning partitioning and corresponding transformation of human populations into quote-unquote white and quote-unquote non-white men. The role played by this state of nature, in quotes, then becomes radically different. In the white settler state, its role is not primarily to demarcate the, in parentheses, temporarily pre-political state of all men who are really white men, but rather the um, permanently pre-political state or perhaps better, non-political state insofar as pre-suggest eventual internal movement toward of non-white men. The establishment of society thus implies the denial that a society already exists. The creation of society requires the intervention of white men who are thereby positioned as already sociopolitical beings. White men who are definitionally already part of society encounter non-whites who are not who are savage residents of a state of nature characterized in terms of wilderness jungle wasteland these the white men bring particularly into society as subordinate citizens or exclude on reservations or deny the existence of or exterminate in the in the colony case admittedly pre-existing But for one reason or another, deficient societies, decadent, stagnant, corrupt, are taken over and run for the benefit, in quotes, of the non-white natives, who are deemed childlike, incapable of self-rule, and handling their own affairs, and thus, appropriately, wards of the state. Here, the natives are usually characterized as, in quotes, barbarians, rather than, in quotes, savages, their state of nature being somewhat farther away, uh, though not, of course, as remote and lost in the past, if it ever existed in the first place, as the European state of nature. But... In times of crisis, the conceptual distance between the two, barbarian and savage, tends to shrink or collapse. For the this technical distinction within the non-white population is vastly less important than the central distinction between white and non-whites. Um, yeah, so we went over that last time, and the reason why I remember that is I just loved his distinction between pre um, what was it pre-political and non-political. And how um, how genius that is, you know?
1: It's good to talk about because it's a template that isn't unique to the last few hundred years, you know? I mean, like when the Romans were fighting the Celtics, uh, it was always framing them as barbarians and things of that. What I always find interesting is that in the... I'm just not aware of any, any times there was a colonial movement or an expanding of an empire uh, in Europe, which I, I suppose is colonial, but... Uh, is viewed a little differently because they were generally forced to just adopt, you know, Roman ideals, Greek ideals, things of that nature.
0: And in a lot of those situations, uh, I, I think according to how he's categorizing the, that it would be like sojourner colonies because the people weren't wiped out. Right. Exactly. Exactly.
1: I just I'm racking my brain. I uh, love history, but that doesn't mean I'm a history expert. I can't think of a time where there really was a group of people that had no society or structure
0: well and and i think uh whenever we've thought <clears throat> they didn't have one whenever there's been actual like anthropological research uh into them it becomes clear that they do have one
1: yeah exactly exactly and it's there's so many times well not so many but i mean uh, the one that i find the most interesting is america because i just it's hard for me to believe that without disease european settlers would have had an easy time uh going to war with native americans um i just you know in a lot of specific battles native americans often did far better than the settlers you know it's disease and so
0: well and all you all you have to look at is like um situations with like um the zulu yeah uh, i mean obviously there were times where the the british wiped the zulu out but even with just like fucking, you know, spears and, like, tan hide shields, um, the Zulus at times were able to, to pull some um, Custard's Last Stand sort of shit.
1: Yeah. Yep. And, now, and, and they even had to fight against machine guns and shit. Um,
0: Breach-loading breach firearms where they could yeah, reload rapidly. Um, if you don't mind uh, doing the next two paragraphs in a row just to kind of bump us ahead. Yeah, yeah. speed
1: it up. Yeah, get us to then the top of 15th. Yeah,
0: if that's okay.
1: Okay, nope, not a problem at all. In both cases then, though in different ways, the racial contract establishes a racial polity, a racial state, and a racial juridical system, where the status of whites and non-whites is clearly demarcated, whether by law or custom. And the purpose of this state, by contrast with the neutral state of classic contractarianism, is inter alia specifically to maintain and reproduce this racial order, uh, securing the privileges and advantages of the full white citizens and maintaining the subordination of non-whites. Correspondingly, the consent expected of the white citizens is in part conceptualized as a consent, whether explicit or tacit to the racial order, to white supremacy, what could be called whiteness. To the extent that these phenotypically, genealogically, culturally categorized as white fail to live up to the civic and political responsibilities of whiteness, they are in dereliction of their duties as citizens. From the inception, then, race is in no way an afterthought, a deviation from ostensibly raceless Western ideals, but rather, rather a central shaping constituent of those ideals." In the social contract tradition, there are two main possible relations between the moral contract and the political contract. On the first view, the moral contract represents pre-existing objectivist morality, theological or secular, and thus constrains the terms of the political contract. This is the view found in Locke and Kant. In other words, there is an objective moral code in the state of nature itself, even if there are no policemen and judges to enforce it. So any society, government, and legal system that are established should be based on that moral code. On the second view, the political contract creates morality as a conventionalist set of rules. So there is no independent objective moral criterion for judging one moral code to be superior to another or for indicting a society's established morality as unjust. On this conception, which is famously attributed to Hobbes, Morality is just a set of rules for expediting the rational pursuit and coordination of our own interests without conflict with those other people who are doing the same thing.
0: I just love him talking about uh, whiteness, and this is something uh, I'm sure other writers uh, or thinkers have covered it, but I've talked to people about it in the past where I say, no, we're not saying... or." The steel man argument is not fuck white people in general. It's fuck capital W whiteness, meaning the the culture that has been that has grown out of the material demands of of, you know, expansion and colonialism and and whatever else, if that makes
1: sense. Yeah, and the other thing that I think about when it comes up is that, like, at the turn of the 20th century, uh, started to come into a large debate about who was white and who was non-white in reference to Jim Crow type laws. Um, So there were times where Mexicans were considered white, and then legally that was taken away from them. Um, Similar things happened with Asian cultures as well, um, where I think, uh, and I, I could be wrong on this, but I think that certain Asian groups were granted partial whiteness. So they were allowed certain aspects of society, but then they weren't allowed into other aspects of society. So not only is this a concept, it's something that can be historically proven via legislative debates at the turn of you know the 20th century. It was literally like, do you qualify as white? And it wasn't necessarily exactly a racial thing. I mean, obviously that was considered. But uh, it wasn't just due to the color of your skin, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, they would expand the whiteness to people who didn't stereotypically look white as long as they thought that that group could help out the society in the same way that a group of white people could, basically. Um, Which is just so fucking shitty. I have thought a lot about this Hobbes stuff as far as uh, the morality being a set of rules. Um, Whether there's intrinsic morality or not, I don't have much to add.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense to me. I am uh, more concerned about us reducing harm for as many humans as possible more than I am, you know, uh, adhering to laws that were created by an all-knowing sentient being or whatever. Right. Uh, You were talking about how Cody's some more news, you know, when he goes over Ben Shapiro and Ben Shapiro like basically like ad hoc rationalizing His whole ideology because he's like well god said this stuff god's not an idiot so we (laughs) need to come up with like good reasons why god would say this stuff
1: i've done a lot of studying and i've realized that god wouldn't make silly rules (laughs) so with that backing i now understand that uh...
0: um okay so the racial contract can accommodate both versions both as it is the former version, the contract as described in Locke and Kant, rather than the latter versions, the contract as described in Hobbes. Okay, so will you go over those two different contract types for us? Because I I couldn't tell you, uh, and I know he just talked about it, but I couldn't tell you the difference between what Locke and Kant said versus what Hobbes says.
1: So uh, Locke and Kant, Con- it's more they're saying it's kind of what we just talked about like where i'm sort of split in the middle that this moral contract represents pre-existing objectivist morality whether that's based on like theological or secular beliefs but that they're we build it around a pre-existing structure that's where our morality comes from and then hobbes says that no morality is based on the set of rules um so one is saying that we make rules based on a pre-existing morality, and one is saying that morality doesn't even exist until we create these rules, sort of deal. Uh, so Locke and Kant saying the first, Hobbes saying
0: okay, the cool. So blah 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 blah, uh, which represents the main stream of the contract tradition. I focus on that one
1: there. So the Locke and Kant one, I think.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, there the. Good polity is taken to rest on the pre existing moral foundation, obviously, this is a far or yeah far more attractive conception of a political system than Hobbes's view. I wonder why it's far more attractive. maybe he'll explain
1: um to me, i mean inherently I would for the same reasons you were talking about like just helping out humans, having that like be the basis it's more attractive and it's easier to push that like this exists because this is good. We know this is good. And this is just my conception of it. I'm not saying this is right. And then the second one is you now have to justify why everything is so good. You know, it's like with Ben Shapiro, like you said, he doesn't have to justify anything. He's established that God's rules are good. That's as far as he has to justify. Now, if he didn't have an overarching theme to bend it on, he'd have a lot more work to do for each individual rule, which he cut that out from himself by just being like, nope, these are God's rules. They were pre-existing. They're awesome. Uh, he just has to buy justify belief in God or justify the belief in whatever you got those pre-existing moral concepts from, I think, which to me is a more attractive to just your general population and also more attractive if you're trying to defend it, I would imagine. Could be totally off. Uh, the ideal of an
0: objectively... Just, Paulus, to which we should aspire in our political activism, goes back in the Western tradition all the way to Plato. In the medieval Christian worldview, which continued to influence contractarianism well into the modern period, there is a uh, natural law imminent in the structure of the universe, which is supposed to direct us morally in striving for this ideal. For the later secular version of contractarianism, the idea would simply be that people have rights and duties even in the state of nature because of their nature as human beings. So it is wrong to steal, rape, kill in the state of nature even if there are no human laws written down saying it is wrong. These moral principles uh, must constrain the human laws that are... Made And the civil rights that are assigned once the polity is established in part, then the political contract simply codifies a morality that already exists, writing it down and filling in the details so we don't have to rely on a divinely implanted moral sense or conscience whose perceptions may on occasion be distorted by self-interest. What is right and wrong, just and unjust, in society will largely be determined by uh, what is right and wrong, just and unjust, in the state of nature. This character of this uh, objective moral foundation is therefore obviously crucial. For the mainstream of the contractarian tradition, it is the freedom and equality of all men in the state of nature. As Locke writes, writes in the second treatise, or treatise, to understand political power, right, and derive it from its uh, original, uh, uh, we must consider the state all men are naturally in, and that is a state of perfect freedom to order their actions, a state also of equality, wherein all the power and jurisdiction. Jurisdiction is uh, reciprocal, no one having more than another. For Kant, similarly, it is our equal moral personhood. Contractarianism is supposedly committed to moral egalitarianism, the moral equality of all men, the notion that the interests of all men matter equally and all men have equal rights. Thus, contractarianism is also committed to a principle. And foundational opposition to the traditionalist hierarchical ideology of the old feudal order, the ideology of inherent ascribed status and natural subordination, subordination. It is the language of equality, which in the American and French revolutions, the Declaration of Independence and the Declaration of Rights of Men. And it is the moral egalitarianism that must be retained in the allocation of rights and liberties in civil society. When in a modern Western society, people insist on their rights and freedoms and express their outrage at not being treated equally, it is to these classic ideas that whether they know it or not, they are appealing. But no, no, go ahead. Were you going to say something?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, we just, just to kind of talk about some of it. I don't know. I mean, it's, this is something that is so hard for me, just this argument. I for sure get what he's saying, and I could be misinterpreting it. But I just get nervous with going with the Kant and Locke part, because it just takes an underpinning of that moral foundation to change everything if you know what i'm saying like if you transcribe to natural rights and things like that then it also leads to like libertarians pointing out lions and shit like well the mightiest get whatever the hell they want Uh, and that's the sort of stuff that it kind of makes me nervous because i could see it backfiring with a new interpretation of natural rights or natural laws whereas the part i like about hobbes is that if you are Creating your own set of morality, like I said before, I just feel like you have to go a lot longer to define it and justify it, which I think would result in it having a longer staying power, possibly. I know it'd be much harder to reach that point, but I, I do get nervous about talking about the state of nature because uh, I think his history has proven that's up to huge, huge waves of interpretation.
0: I think as the the book goes on, he kind of dispels that concept. And, and just keep in mind, he says... Uh, on page 16 contractarianism is supposedly in parentheses committed to a moral egalitarianism the moral equality of all men the notion that the interests of all men matter equally and all men must have equal rights and so um throughout the book what what he does um as far as i understand it and remember it is he just says okay so they believe this But they also believe that everyone that isn't white isn't a human being, isn't a man, and therefore they don't deserve uh, or require this this equality or egalitarianism or whatever.
1: Yeah. And I I get, I guess I get nervous because for a true egalitarian state, I mean, that's where I think the difference in rights for the included whites come into play. You know, there are still poor white people and a lot of wealthy white people justify it by being a state of nature. Like, I was destined to make this money. I am inherently a better human being because of this money. It's your failings in this state of nature. It is your state of nature.
0: No, 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 no. I think... I think you're, if I understand it correctly, I think you're misunderstanding the phrase "state of nature." So, state of nature is what exists without the polity. Whereas what you're talking about is more. God damn it! I forget the term, but it's like this, uh, 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 this Puritan-like um, uh, um, idea that that God shows who he favors by how much. Uh, material like wealth or prosperity, he has given someone, and uh, it comes from like um, Calvinism because uh, Calvin and and other Puritans of that ilk said that. Um, God knows God knows who is going to heaven before they're born, and so we need to find out or we need to figure out who who that is who who has been um shown favor, and uh over time the way that that showed itself was wealth
1: mine's more from just like an anecdotal secular side of wealthy people I know who justify their wealth based off of their own. They refuse to see the benefits that they've gotten from their initial position mm-hmm. in society sort right. of deal and transcribe that overall to a state of nature completely secularly. No matter what society we put in, even mm-hmm. if we started from a flat society where we both were on equal footing, inevitably, this would be how it rolls out. Like That's more what I'm referring to, like wealthy people with that concept that there is something inherently better about them, something inherently more effective about them uh, that has nothing to do with luck or the standing you were born into, that has everything to do with, you know, your natural-born talents or whatever. And I think that that can get into a, a also a negative territory.
0: Yeah, I, I think it is just negative, period. I don't think it. it's like there's, there's a territory about it. It's just not a good thing. So I'm right. going to do, because of some words coming up here and because of uh, my... Um, yeah my ethnicity i'm going to do the next um please yes the next uh uh, thank you
1: thank you paragraph
0: but as we will see in a a greater detail later on the color-coded morality of the racial contract restricts the possession of this natural freedom and equality to white men which is what we were just talking about um by virtue of their complete uh, non-recognition or at best inadequate myopic recognition of the duties of natural law non-whites are appropriately relegated to a lower rung on the moral ladder the great chain of being Uh, that's interesting i wonder if that's like an actual thing just the way it's all capped out or like with the capitalizations it makes it seem like it's a concept um oh i could
1: sure see that during some like manifest destiny type of shit totally
0: um, just like mapping out the hierarchy of, of humans um,
1: yeah oh it's definitely a, a thing oh the great chain of being is a hierarch hierarchical structure of all matter and life thought and medieval christianity to have been decreed by god the chain starts with god and progresses downwards to angels humans animals plants and minerals
0: they are designated as born unfree and unequal a partitioned Social ontology is therefore created, a universe divided between persons and racial subpersons. Uh, U- Uter mention, right? Is that Uter mention? mention who may variously be black, red, brown, yellow, slaves, ab- aborigines, colonial populations, but who are collectively appropriately known as subject races, in quotes. And these subpersons niggers, injuns, chinks, wogs, wogs, greasers, blackfellows, kaffirs, coolies, abo- abos? I don't know that one. Is, is that abos?
1: I, I would assume. Thankfully, I don't know. After blackfellows, uh, a lot of these, except for the last one, are pretty unknown to
0: me, actually. Okay. Abos, dinks goos, gooks are biologically destined never to perpetuate the normative rights rights ceiling established for them below uh, white persons henceforth then henceforth then, whether openly admitted or not, it is taken for granted that the grand ethical theories propounded in the development of Western moral and political thought are of restricted scope explicitly or implicitly intended by their proponents to be restricted to persons whites Uh, the term or the terms of the racial contract set in the parameters for whites or for white morality as a whole so that competing Lockean and kantian contractarian theories of natural rights and duties, or later, anti-contractarian theories, such as 19th century utilitarianism, are all limited by its uh, stipulations. All right, so all that's what he's saying there is kind of what we talked about already, just that, you know, this this system, this this way of thinking was formatted without non-whites in mind, like this yeah. is for whites. These rules are for whites. Everyone else is bestial.
1: I'm probably reading into stuff he said, but I also think he's just implying that, dude, we haven't even made a theory that doesn't live within this realm. Okay, yeah. At the end, yeah. I.e., are all limit are all limited by its stipulations, sort of deal, um, which goes back to the racial contract stuff, which is just like we have yet in Western civilization to do anything. That doesn't fall into this realm. It's all based off of this like nonsensical garbage tactic from the get go, uh, and we have yet to create a system or a philosophical mode of thought that doesn't have this kind of, uh, or that isn't haunted by the echoes of this shit. Totally, totally, and and a need to justify or not justify, but it's it almost feels like to me that we have a refusal to shed this shit.
0: Well, I think a lot of people aren't even aware of it, right? So I'm going to do the next paragraph, and then I'm going to have you round it out until the next section. So finally, the racial contract requires its own particular moral and empirical epistemology. It's norms and procedures for determining what counts as moral and factual knowledge of the normal world. In the standard accounts of contractarianism, it is not usual to speak of there being an, uh, uh, quote, epistemological contract, but there is an epistemology associated with contractarianism in the form of natural law. This provides us with a moral compass, whether in the traditional version of Locke, the light of reason implanted in us by God so we can discern objective right and wrong, or In the revisionist version of Hobbes, the ability to assess the objectively optimal prudential course of action, what it requires of us for self-interested cooperation with others. So So through our natural faculties, we come to know reality is both its factual and valuational aspects the way things objectively are and what is objectively good or bad about them. I suggest we can think of this as an idealized consensus about cognitive norms and, in this respect, an agreement or contract of sorts. There is an understanding about what counts as a correct objective interpretation of the world and for agreeing to this view one is contractually granted full cognitive standing in the polity the official epistemic community so he's just saying that um that like if you view things the way that the polity wants you to view them um then you're allowed to be part of the group
1: Uh, regardless of standing like it's more about your agreements with the society
0: which is kind of what you were talking about with um whiteness being given and then and taken away yep yeah do you mind uh wrapping us up
1: no but for the racial contract things are necessarily more complicated the requirements of objective cognition factual and moral and a racial polity are in a sense more demanding in that officially sanctioned reality is divergent from actual reality. So here, it could be said, one has an agreement to misinterpret the world. One has to learn to see the world wrongly, but with the assurance that this set of mistaken perceptions will be validated by white epistemic authority, whether religious or secular. I don't have anything to add, but that's a great paragraph. Holy shit. This is all in italics. Thus, in effect, on matters related to race, the racial contract prescribes for its signatories an inverted epistemology, an epistemology of ignorance, a particular pattern of localized and global cognitive dysfunctions, uh, which are psychologically and socially functional, producing the ironic outcome that whites will in general be unable to understand the world them, they themselves have made. End italics. Boom. Part of what it means to be constructed has quote-unquote white, uh, the metamorphosis of the socio-political contract, part of what it requires to achieve whiteness successfully to become a white person begin quotes one imagines a ceremony with certificates attending the successful rite of passage congratulations you're now an official white person uh, end parentheses is a cognitive model that precludes self-transparency and genuine understanding of social realities to a significant extent then white signatories will live in an invented delusional world a racial fantasy land a quote-unquote consensual hallucination. To quote William Gibson's famous characterization of cyberspace, though this particular hallucination is located in real space, there will be white mythologies, invented Orients, invented Africas, invented Americas, with a correspondingly fabricated population, countries that never were, inhabited by people who never were, Calibans and Tontos, Man Fridays and Sambos, who attain a virtual reality through their existence in traveler's tales, folk myth, popular and highbrow fictions, colonial reports, scholarly theory, Hollywood cinema, living in the white imagination, and determinedly imposed on their alarmed real-life counterparts. One could say, then, has a general rule that white misunderstanding, misrepresentation, evasion, and self-deception on matters related to race are among the most pervasive mental phenomena of the past few hundred years, a cognitive and moral economy psychically required for conquest, colonization, and enslavement. And these phenomena are in no way accidental but, bescri- but prescribed by the terms of the racial contract, which requires a certain schedule of structured blindness and opacities in order to establish and maintain the white polity. It's so big and I see this shit all the time and I know via talks with you that you encounter it too, where trying to break through to the average American that like break through his bullshit narrative about how we got to where we were and the justifications for everything that just this country has done is fucking maddening to me. I mean, you just can't break through it on the the Peterson sub. We've both had conversations with people. Um, This is a little tangent from what they're talking about but where they really are convinced that capitalism has existed for all of humanity, that, you know, the way that our society now is structured, they won't admit to things like, um, you know, recently I've gotten in COVID talks talking about how, like, why are we being the medieval Europe of COVID in reference to the plague, Um, where obviously the plague affected other societies, but they were very much willing to understand where the disease was coming from. Whereas medieval Europe was self-flagellating, Uh, and burning witches because they thought they had pissed off god those people my point is that when i bring that argument up people refuse to acknowledge places like baghdad places you know like northern african countries that uh, not countries at the time but northern african societies that were able to determine what was happening here and move forward and they hate that because that's the time period where whites were undoubtedly the biggest fucking morons on the planet you know, to try and even I could source that from here to, you know, next week, and people still can't see through that bullshit white narrative of how throughout the entire history, white people have been leading the world forward. It's just such nonsensical bullshit garbage, obviously has led us into the societal fucking shithole we're in right now, where it's like they would rather believe the things that comfort them than reality. Um, took COVID to really demonstrate on a large scale how fucking fatal that is. I mean, to the tune of 160,000 fucking dead people uh, because we have a bunch of morons that can't see reality.
0: Yeah, but and I totally agree with everything, but keep in mind that, like, I mean, you could also be like, um, they didn't see it after the end of um, slavery. They didn't see it after the end of Jim Crow it is just um it's like we were uh like we were saying earlier when you said um it, it's just crazy that people um uh you know won't recognize this and like the book says it's like a lot of people don't the majority of white people and even the jo- majority of non-white people at least in the US just don't see um the the level and the depth of this situation yeah yeah
1: Uh, on that note though, hopefully some people are listening to this podcast and, uh, learning with us, you know, maybe learning some stuff with us. That would be fucking awesome.
0: So next, uh, next episode, we will start at page 19 and the subsection is called the racial contract is a historical actuality. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to, uh, seeing you all then.
1: 100. Have a good day.